and welcome to the Sweep Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Holt. Good evening. How are you today? I'm all right, thank you. It's uh, pretty much the end of the year in terms of podcasting for us, isn't it? We've got two more episodes. We've got this one, which is a massive review of what happened last weekend. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened at Old Trafford this week and do a little preview of the festive fixtures and uh, and get on to the championship. How was your weekend at Aston Villa versus Stoke? Yeah, it was okay. I've just about thawed out, to be honest, both physically and mentally, but more on physically later when we reach Championship Roundup. Aside from that, though, it was a good weekend of football. We've had two matchups between Manchester and Liverpool-based clubs, and let's face it, plenty of talking points, as we just said, and you know that includes a special one, sulking around, whilst Liverpool showed their title credentials. Elsewhere, also a bit of movement at the bottom. There was indeed. My beloved Southampton picked up their first three points in... 14 league matches and plenty to look at in the middle and business as usual for most of the top and the top is where we start with Liverpool 3, Manchester United 1. And before we get on to the obvious, the gigantic elephant in the room, the the gigantic Jose Mourinho, Alan Partridge-esque elephant in the room, I think we need to give Liverpool a bit of credit because they were absolutely fantastic in this game. They run Manchester United ragged and I suspect even if Manchester United have had a stronger team out then Liverpool probably would have still prevailed they've got so much power and pace up top and I think on their day they're as good as any team in world football you saw that last year in the Champions League and you could argue the players that they've brought in since then they've they've kind of built on that and I think that we need to talk about Fabinho because he probably put in his best performance of the season so far not only in the middle of midfield but the assist for Mane's goal was was delightful and it's not necessarily something that you would associate with him but Liverpool showed that they're able to turn defence into attack so quickly and and that's massive under Jurgen Klopp and they all deserve so much credit for what they've been able to do so far. Absolutely I was very impressed with him and I was also impressed with Wijnaldum as well and Obviously, Navigator showed glimpses as well, and then he came off for Shakiri, who gives them another option, another dimension as well. And, you know, as much as you got some luck in both goals, you still have to be there. And we've spoken a number of times about Liverpool's squad depth this season. It's probably still not where they want it to be, but they brought in Van Dijk, who's obviously massive influence at the back. And then the midfield as well, you know, whether it's Fabinho, Kaiser or Shakiri, they all give something different. And, you know, ultimately you've got match winners in there as well that they lacked anything over and above the, the front three last season. And I think we need to go back to the game. There was only really one bright spot for Manchester United, and that obviously was the goal. And it came from an Allison mistake. It, it was gifted to them. You probably need to give Jesse Lingard a, a little bit of credit for following up, but you might argue on the other hand it was just his run that took him into that position. But I, I think that other than that, they really offer nothing. And that leads us on quite nicely to the, the, the lack of anything they've really offered over the last 12 months, maybe longer, and the situation that they've now got themselves into. Absolutely. Jose is gone. No great surprise that he parted ways with the club. Possibly a slight surprise at how early it was. Equally, they really need to salvage something from this season. And let's face it, you know they, they have the players at the club to it, at the very least. Be challenging for the top four and chasing down silverware in the cups. And you know you, you look at Mourinho and he's 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 not done a great job. I think he's he's massively stagnated and he's probably not pragma- pragmatic enough to to really test the the kind of top four or five sides in the league now. And you know, you look at his third season syndrome as well. I I don't necessarily buy that this season. You know, Manchester United won 176 Premier League points since he was appointed, and that's nearly 50 less than Manchester City over three seasons. So, 
you know, you've got to look at his performance over the whole thing. And I think probably then you have to look at the bigger picture for Manchester United. Is the more fault higher up the pecking order? They've obviously brought in someone like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to come in and do a, a temporary job. And he's, he's almost between a rock and a hard place, isn't he? I think that's the problem. If they were able to bring somebody in with a long-term vision at this point, it might appease the fans. But a, a short-term appointment to me just looks like they're writing off the rest of this season. If Solskjaer does all right, he's he's not going to get the job at the end of the season. They've already agreed that he's going back to mould. And if it's true that they want Pochettino to come in, they're going to have to pay a huge amount of compensation. And you look at the amount of money that they spent on somebody like Fred in the summer, would it not have been better at that point to spend £50 million going after a manager who you think is going to do great things for the club rather than chasing a signing who didn't really complement any of the players that they already had there? Paul Pogba's struggled massively this season. It's been in and out of the, the, the press about the relationship that he's had with Mourinho and the fractious nature of, of basically everything that's gone off off the pitch there. So I'd be worried as a Manchester United fan because I don't necessarily think that they've reached the bottom and they're about to come back up. I think that there's probably a little bit further for them to go and, and it, it, it it's quite nice in terms of the narrative and, and, and quite fitting that Solskjaer faces his former club Cardiff in the first game of his reign. But you would argue that the time that he's had in the Premier League as a manager was incredibly underwhelming which obviously led to Cardiff being relegated yeah it'll be blood and thunder effort from the Bluebirds you expect this weekend and you know they probably couldn't have asked for a better run of fixtures after this though Manchester United host Huddersfield and Bournemouth before travelling to Newcastle that said if there are a few signs of improvement between now and, and the end of that run they'll be in big trouble and I think there'll be question marks asked as I said probably higher up the club as well we need to talk about Liverpool quickly before we go any further because they are top of the league and I think that there's been a few Liverpool fans who've been in touch with us this season to say that we don't give them enough credit and I'll be honest with you, I didn't necessarily think that they would push Manchester City as, as, as far as they have done and certainly didn't see them being on top of the Premier League at this stage. There's a huge game coming up at the Etihad on the 3rd of January and we'll come on and talk a little bit more about Liverpool's fixtures shortly but that will be the game that Klopp will be thinking about already. He will have to consider the best way to get the most out of his team between now and then while also keeping his players fresh for the biggest game probably of his reign domestically and uh, I think that in Guardiola you've probably got somebody now who's beginning to worry a bit more about Liverpool than he possibly was before it's uh, it's a difficult one because Manchester City have almost been in a league of their own for the last 18 months two years and, and uh, they're going to come into a period now where they've got somebody who's not only directly challenging them but they're actually having to chase and we haven't seen Manchester City in that period for such a long time so it's just got so much to look forward to from a neutral point of view from kind of January onwards. I think if you look at the Manchester City game before then they've got a tough run they've got Wolves away Newcastle at home which you know realistically they should be winning but they've also got Arsenal visits in Anfield as well so it's going to be a tough few weeks for them and I think you know we'll really see whether that side and whether the squad can be stretched or whether they're actually going to falter or not and we need to talk about Manchester City because they had a massive massive 3-1 win against Everton on Saturday and I say massive because I think it's more about the result of this period of time than it is about the actual scoreline. And there were times in this game where they flattered to deceive a little bit. However, Guardiola will be most pleased about the fact that Gabriel Jesus returned to form and he was able to score goals and look like a completely different player to the one that we saw and, and criticised a few weeks ago. A premature arrival for Jesus in the Christmas period, I'd say, but <laughs> definitely a timely one. You know, He didn't even start last week and he was excellent in this. And I think he will go on to be... In theory, he should go on to be the number one striker at the club in a few years' time when Aguero goes. But 
you know, I think if you look at the game as a whole, it was one they could have slipped up on. You know, they they probably weren't spectacular and they got a little bit of luck as well, but they came up against an Everton side who at times did challenge them. And we need to talk a little bit about our two South American floppers, don't we? Your mate, Yerry Mina, our mate, Richarlison, who uh, we've still got the on-running charity bet with our friend Eddie Lee, who... He kind of gave it the big time, didn't he, before this one? He gave yeah. us the stats at the halfway point, and fair play to him because Richarlison has scored five goals in nine games, um, but he didn't score in this one, and if it ends up 5-18, and 18, he'll be the one with Brazilian egg on his face and will be donating some money to charity. <laughs> um, Everton looking forward to getting past Tottenham this weekend before tough trips to Burnley and Brighton as well. It's going to be a tough period for them, and I think... You know, they're really going to need Richarlison to shine over the next few weeks. And, you know, we've said before, it could well be the cold weather that, that keeps him keeps him held back a little bit as well. And I don't think there's going to be any colder over the next few weeks. And you don't want to be going to, to Burnley and needing to impress, do you? That's exactly right. We need to talk a little bit more about City because, obviously, midweek they progressed in the Carabao Cup. They've got into the semi-final. They're going to play Burton Albion there. And they've got games coming up against Crystal Palace, which you would expect them to win this weekend. And they've then got Leicester and Southampton, which are kind of the warm-ups for the game that we've already talked about against Liverpool and Guardiola will again have to rotate his squad and we've seen him do that in recent weeks he's been an absolute nightmare from a fancy Premier League point of view because you don't really know which players to pick and you would imagine that that will continue over the next few weeks so it's an intriguing time for the Premier League from a neutral it's brilliant and I think that Manchester City are probably at a point now where they're going to have to think about long term what's the most important thing for them. They're in the semi-finals of one competition, they're through to the next round in the Champions League, they're obviously riding high in the Premier League as well, but from their board's point of view, they want to do well in the Champions League, they want to win that, and I want to get your opinion on this. Do you think that they would be okay with finishing second domestically if it meant they could have a real tilt and potentially go on to win the Champions League? I think it's possibly a bigger challenge to go and win the Champions League, and I think if you ask most of the fans, they'd probably still want to win the league as well, but um, I think given the fact that Manchester United are so far behind, they've got something to to you know go and really rub their noses in with the Champions League if they can go and win that. And there's no reason why they can't go and win it. But I think the key thing for Manchester City is the fact they've got such a big squad. You know, you have to look at Aguero, Sterling, De Bruyne on the bench on Saturday, and to be challenging on all fronts with a squad like that means that they've definitely got the potential to go and go and do that. And I think that. There's a real gulf in class when it comes to some Champions League ties. I know that the draw's obviously been made now. Manchester United have probably got the hardest draw of the English teams and you would expect the other two to progress. I think that Tottenham against Dortmund is probably the tie of the round for me and we'll come on to talk about Tottenham shortly. But what it does mean is that four English clubs are through in the Champions League and that's a massive fillip for the English game because in seasons gone by we've struggled in that competition in the early rounds and although it's probably been glossed over a little bit because both Liverpool and Manchester City have made it through to semi-finals and the final in Liverpool's case last year but I think that Guardiola's got a real real job in his hands to try and manage that squad between now and February when the real work will probably start for his team. You spoke about a warm-up game for Manchester City there with Southampton and I'm not sure it is now a resurgent Southampton a 3-2 win over Arsenal and that's 22 undefeated Arsenal as well in Ralph Hassenhuttle's home debut and Really, it looks so simple. Just work harder, raise the intensity, press the opposition, take advantage of what's fair to say a makeshift back four, and that's exactly what they did. Free beers as well. 
Yeah, and he said after the game that he thinks that free beers might have to come into it every home game. And when you consider how much, I think they, they worked it out. There's 19,000 season ticket holders at St. Mary's. And I think um, it worked out at something like £12,500 that it cost them because obviously they get the beer at cost price rather than the prices that you and I might pay when we go to a football stadium. So you kind of wonder why clubs and... and teams don't do this more often because it obviously gets the, the, the fans a little bit oiled before the game, it, it kind of gets you a little bit more excited and you saw what what it did at Leicester and, and, and it's a really good initiative and, and it shows that they do kind of care a little bit and ultimately it's such a small amount of money for a Premier League club and, and the amount of money that those Premier League clubs have got now it's, it's, it's not difficult to do but anyway enough of that, back to the game because I need to talk about Southampton, it's our first win in 14 games the last time that we won a game in the Premier League, I was in Greece, sunning myself on my summer holidays. And that kind of tells you all you need to know about the last three months under Mark Hughes. I'm very pleased that that chapter has ended. And a new chapter under Ralph Hasenhutl, the hutch, as I'm going to refer to him, until things go pear-shaped. And uh, I'm going to watch us on Saturday. We're playing away at Huddersfield. It's a massive game. And if we're able to apply ourselves in the same way that we did against Arsenal, then I think that's kind of all that you can ask for from the fans' point of view. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's probably still question marks over over the team, over the defence in particular, but signs of improvement already, and, and simply through being a little bit more organised, harder in the tackle, more willing to go and win the ball is, is huge, and, you know, ultimately, the goals came from crosses and headers, and I bloody love crosses and headers more than most things, and it's one of my bugbears that teams don't get the ball in the box enough, but equally, when you've got the likes of Danny Ings and Charlie Austin, why would you not do that? And, you know, the ball's into the box with quality as well. The first one from Matt Target. And then you've got Nathan Redmond, who I would accuse as being one of the worst for, for taking that extra touch and pulling it back. But he put the ball in, and it was a fantastic ball in as well. And I think, realistically, obviously, you were helped by the fact that Arsenal's defence was, was makeshift, as we've said. But if you go and do that against most clubs, you've always got a chance to go and win the game. And I think the most important thing for Southampton point of view is that we scored three goals and we managed to get goals from our strikers as well. We've struggled with that all season. Danny Ings is somebody that we'd been heavily reliant on early in the season and actually he was scoring a few goals and we looked okay at that point. And then he got injured and both Shane Long and Charlie Austin were, were, were unable to really do anything. And I, I think that having Danny Ings back in, in the team is massive for Southampton because he buzzes around, he works very hard. And what Hasenhutl has said is that we have to defend from the front. He said defenders... If they're isolated, if they're not supported by the, the players in front of them, then they're going to concede goals. And that's what we've struggled with previously, especially under Mark Hughes. There, there, there was no real protection for the defenders, and that's where they've shown their, their, their real deficiencies. So I really hope that it's a, a, a turning point as a Southampton fan and not a just one of these games where you where you win it because it's a new manager bounce and that sort of thing. I, I really hope that it's a sign of things to come. And I definitely feel more optimistic. We, we've... We've got some massive games coming up. We've got, obviously, the Huddersfield game on Saturday. We've got, uh, arguably, a must-win home game against West West Ham, which is on the 27th. And the reason that's must-win is because our next two games are uh, Manchester City and Chelsea in a, in a nice doubleheader. So, thanks very much for that, Premier League. You couldn't really have scheduled that any better. We always seem to have a really rubbish Christmas as well, so I'm not really holding out too much hope. But, like I say, there is a level of, of optimism there from the Southampton fans that certainly wasn't there prior to Arsenal Huddle's arrival. And, you know, you look at Arsenal, as we say, they 
put together a defence. Kashani came in for the first league start of the season. Xhaka in there too. And I think realistically, if they were going to lose a game, I don't think this one was a huge surprise. But they'll be looking to bounce back this weekend at home to Burnley. And then an away tie at Brighton should see them tested before the last big game of this calendar year when they travel to Anfield to try and stop league leaders Liverpool. And you mentioned Brighton there. We're going to go down to the south coast, to the Amex. Because they came up against Chelsea on Sunday and they lost 2-1. I think that on paper it looks like a relatively close game. But I don't really think that Chelsea got out of second or third gear in this one. No, they looked very comfortable. And they once again lined up without a striker. And it paid dividends. Eden Hazard looked bang on it and, and really took the game to Brighton. He got the assist for the first. Put it on a plate for Pedro. And shortly after, a counter-attack put him through the burst of pace and wonderful finish. And considering he's been quiet for the last month or two, the stats suggest that he's having probably his best season yet for Chelsea. Yeah, I think the issue with Hazard is he's patchy and I think that's two goals in his last 11 games and that's not the form for a player who domestically you would expect to do better than that. I, I, I agree he definitely showed flashes against Brighton of the player that we all know that he can be but the issue with Chelsea is consistency and they obviously were unbeaten for a long stretch alongside Liverpool and Manchester City but then when they lost a game, they lost a couple and their form dropped, their players started to struggle and that will be a worry for Sarri because tactically he seems to really have only one way to play. Yeah, he does, and I think that's possibly the worry that he will get found out. I think if you look at what he did at Napoli, you could argue that it's a, a weaker league, and ultimately you, you play anyone outside the top six in Italy, you've got a decent chance with good enough personnel, whereas I think in this league, realistically, anyone can beat anyone, and I think it, it's fairly simple to see what Sarri's going to do every week, and ultimately if they do a very, very good job of it, then generally they'll come out on top, but... As we say, it's probably easier to play against a side that play with the same starting eleven every week, the same system every week, and they probably need to look at different ways of playing. And you know, it, they're looking at it now with Hazard up top on his own. There's only so long that could probably pay dividends for. And Chelsea will be over the moon with their schedule over Christmas. That's one really key point. They've got Leicester and Southampton at home, which you would expect them to win, and. Then they've got probably the smallest away distance to travel out of all the teams over Christmas. They've got Watford and Palace away, which when you look at those trips, they could hardly be any closer. Brighton's fixture list has a very mixed look about it. They've got very tough games. They've got Arsenal and Everton, and, and that's where you worry a little bit because Brighton struggle against the top sides. I think they've lost six games at home so far this season, five of them against the traditional big six. So you'd imagine that they were going to struggle in those two games. And I want to get your opinion on this before we move on to the next game. Brighton have been good this season. They were good last season as well. They managed to keep their heads above water and didn't really get dragged into the rele relegation fight at all. But we have seen teams picking up points in recent weeks. And do you think that Brighton, as a result of those teams below them picking up points, could get dragged into it? I mean, in theory, they should be absolutely fine. But I think the, the key thing for them is to beat the teams around them, which they generally tend to do, particularly at home. And I, I think the, the worrying thing is, as you say, there are teams behind them that are slowly kind of crawling up the league. And if Brighton have a bad patch and a few of the teams below them do have a decent run over the Christmas period, they could just drag themselves down and equally the other teams drag themselves above them. Talking of teams that are getting dragged down, Burnley lost 1-0 away to Tottenham at Wembley. And how Spurs haven't won this one by three or four, I'll never know. Uh, I think the, I suppose the most important thing from, from a, a Tottenham point of view is the three points. And they should have had a penalty early on when Kane went down. I think it was about the 20-minute mark. And if that goes in, if that's given, then it could have been a route. And, and Burnley were 
I'm trying to think of a different adjective to use, but they were awful. They set up for one thing and one thing only, and that was a nil-nil draw. They were never really going to trouble Tottenham on the break. They tried to soak up pressure and allowed a lot of chances on Joe Hart's goal. And tactically, we've we've said how astute Sean Dyche was in games last season, but he really seems to be struggling for a plan B at the moment. And, you know, it's another game where they concede a load of possession, a load of chances, and then Dyche says that they've dealt with the balls into the box all day. I'm not convinced massive Burnley tinted spectacles and at times yes they did defend well and Hart made some great saves but ultimately Spurs are having an off day and I think you know Burnley have another trip to London this weekend against Arsenal then two home games sandwiched between that which includes a, a huge six pointer against Huddersfield at the John Smiths in their first game in 2019. Spurs on the other hand I think that they've obviously come off the back of a, a really good run recently they've they've qualified for the Champions League next round and I think everyone at the club will be happy with with what they've been able to achieve given the the, the issues that have gone off gone on off the pitch the the difficulty is the amount of games that they've coming up in that they've got coming up in such a, a, a short space of time they've got four games in 10 days you look at that against the 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 run that Liverpool have got Liverpool have got an extra recovery day between each one of their games and the one thing from a Tottenham point of view that, that will be a positive is that they've they've got winnable games. They've got Bournemouth and Wolves at home and they've got Cardiff and Everton away. You would imagine out of those four teams that the only team that they'd really be worried about would be going away to, to, to Goodison Park. And they've got a decent away record. They'll be hoping to pick up points. But Pochettino's got a massive job on his hands. He's, he's worked so hard and the off-the-pitch speculation linking him with Manchester United will only come as a detractor for, for Tottenham fans. It can't be easy because you get to a stage where you seem to be challenging year on year and, and somebody tries to come in for your manager. So it's going to be an interesting period for Tottenham and I think that they will be very happy, like I say, with the, with the first few months of the season. And they've got a huge, huge amount to do now to, to try and make sure that they get into their new stadium and, and they've still got Champions League football going on at the same time. They have indeed. Well, that's all for part one. And join us after this short break where we're going to take a wet, soggy and freezing cold trip to the championship. Sorry, guys. I, I was going to, you know, kick it up the other end and just put one right in their fucking goal hole, but no dice. <laughs> Welcome back to part two of this week's Sweeper podcast. And we are taking a trip to the championship and it really was cold, wet and soggy. I've just about physically thawed out having visited Villa Park on Saturday. See Villa take on Stoke City and it was horrendous. Easily the worst conditions I've ever endured watching football. Even considering our ill-fated trip to Birmingham Southampton in the snow years back. There's driving winds, freezing rain and a leaky roof which was pretty much matched by the game in front of me as well. It was scrappy and the only thing that came out of it was an undeserved but gratefully received point for Villa after falling behind twice and coming back into it thanks to goals from Tammy Abraham and Jonathan Codrew came off the bench and really gave us our only real spark of the afternoon Stoke on the other hand were for me the much better side and I'd say they'll be gutted not to win the game it's nine unbeaten for them more draws than wins probably tells the story though speaking to Stoke fans before the game they said the win the previous week at home to Ipswich was as bad as it got, they said they were infuriated and embarrassed at how bad they were, and that was picking up a, a 2 0 win, I think it was. And that tells you all you need to know about Ipswich, too, who, despite this, actually picked up their second win of the season at home to Wigan this weekend. And it was a weekend that kicked off with a cracker on Friday at Bramall Lane, which saw West Brom come from behind 2 1, keeps them very much knocking on the door of the top two. However, despite the two teams above them remaining the same, they did swap over with the Leeds United reaching the summit thanks to a 1-0 away win at Bolton Wanderers. 
Patrick Bamford scored the only goal of the game, and they're looking fantastic value for a promotion place this season. Huge game on Sunday at Villa Park. I'll be there, taking my girlfriend to her first ever game to watch the club she has to support. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, she has to support them, take on the one she should support, being a Yorkshire girl, living in Leeds and everything. I can't wait to educate her about Bielsa's pressing philosophies. She'll be buzzing. Um, as I said, Norwich slipped second after a fantastic winning run following an away draw at Bristol City. West Brom were the only club to win in the playoff places this weekend. This was due to Frank Lampard's Derby County, drawing 0-0 with Forrest in the Cluffy Derby. Sheffield United losing, as we said, and Middlesbrough also losing, going down 2-1 away at QPR, leaving them winless in four. And other than the win for Ipswich, the bottom of the league was littered with losses and draws. Milton and Bol- Bolton uh, both <laughs> lost. And Reading and Rotherham played out a one-all draw, which neither side needed. Brentford and Sheffield Wednesday both lost to leave them hovering precociously above the relegation zone as we approach this festive period. I'm gonna to have to pick you up on that one, Milton. Is that a new? Is that a new? A new? A new championship? A championship North and South duo that's been formed there. It's like Steve Bruce's striker books just made up teams based on real ones. <laughs> I'm going to take us to Portugal, where Sporting continued their winning run. This is great this year, isn't it? We supported Hertha all last year, and they were absolutely <laughs> rubbish. And Sporting just seemed to win every week. This week they beat Nacional five-two, thanks to another two goals from our mate Big Bad Bastos, a brace from Bruno Fernandes, and a rare goal for Jeremy Mathieu. Despite the big win, they had to come from two behind after Nacional took a surprising lead after six minutes and then doubled that thanks to a Paletsevic strike in the 26th minute. Sporting a still sitting second, a couple of points behind their rivals Porto, who most people would have noticed have had an incredibly good Champions League run so far. They've got a massive, massive game coming up this weekend. Benfica and Braga face off on Sunday. Porto are playing Rio Ave and our own Sporting, like I say, are facing fifth in the league, Vittoria, which could be a very tough encounter. Got a fact of the week for you, Mitch. You ready? Absolutely. Sporting have never been relegated from the Portuguese top league, a mainstay since the inaugural season. The Everton of Portugal. That's very true. That's everything for the Championship and the Portuguese roundup. Join us after this break where we get back to the Premier League action. Should have gone to Specsavers, Charlie, because I'll tell you what, he's not offside. Well, he's absolutely bang in line, not offside. Well, maybe you should go also then, Jeff, because uh, you couldn't see driving home the other night because you you don't even wear your glasses in, in uh, TV in case you get you get slagged off. So you just uh, you just stick to Specsavers and I'll do the game. Welcome back to the third part of this week's Sweeper podcast and it's time to go to Watford where they picked up a hard-earned 3-2 victory over Neil Warnock's boys Cardiff City. And what a game this was, some unbelievable goals from both sides. Watford first were fantastic, they played some wonderful football and in, in Gerard Delafeu they've got someone running the show for them, he took his goal very well, worked extremely hard all game and then you've got two cracking strikes. The first from Holobas who has more goals and assists than any other defender this season and Kinta who... I'll admit to knowing nothing about before this game, but another player to add to the attacking roster they've managed to build up. And you kind of thought that was it, didn't you? You thought that was game over because yep. Cardiff offered very little and I think the horrendous conditions probably helped them. It seemed to galvanise Neil Warnock's side and they they really gave themselves a chance with what was first probably, I don't know, the goal of the game from junior senior Hoylet who uh, repeated his antics against Wolves a couple of weeks back and then Bobby Reid profited from a, a standard long throw you know Cardiff even when they lose Gunnison they still have Morrison to torpedo one in from long range 
Watford will be happy with the, the with the win because it could have been so different. I think if that game had gone on for another 10 minutes, then Neil Warnock's side probably would have rescued at least a point. And they did look very nervy. They will be happy with the next four fixtures, however. Other than a home game against Chelsea, they are all winnable games. West Ham, Newcastle and Bournemouth. That said, who knows what you get from the Hornets. They are so indifferent from week to week. And obviously Cardiff looking forward to the visits of Manchester United and Tottenham to the Welsh capital. They'll give them a run for their money for sure. And away at Palace and Leicester too. I'd say Neil Warnock relishes this festive period. I can imagine he loves it. I'm sure you're right. I think we need to move on though because Wolves against Bournemouth was the big tie for who's going to finish in either 6th, 7th, 8th or ninth position. And this game was played in the way you would expect from these two sides. Quick open styles, playing on the counter-attack, plenty of pressure and pressing when out of possession. And I think that you have to credit Wolves because they went through a really sticky patch of late, didn't they? They they, they lost games and people started saying that they might go down, they might end up kind of getting into that relegation chase, if you like. And they've just not done it. They've, they've stabilised, they've managed to beat Chelsea, they've managed to beat Bournemouth and they looked relatively comfortable in this game, didn't they? Yeah, I think it, you know, it was no surprise really that the, the first goal came from an error. Charlie Daniels had an absolute shock with the pass and despite Wolves not having the most potent of strike forces, they're generally fairly clinical in front of goal and that said, Helder Costa should have scored when put through on goal by the impressive Morgan Gibbs-White. He's been an absolute revelation since coming into the side over the last couple of months and I'm sure Gareth Southgate will be looking at him because he adds pace into the midfield which really they've lacked and I think for all Neves and, and Moutinho's ability... They're hardly the most mobile, so I think it's a really good balancing act for Wolves, and I think it's something that they've been craving this season, where they've obviously got pace in someone like Traore, who runs and runs and runs, but quite often just runs in one direction, and I think they just need a different dimension, and they've found that, and it's obviously paying dividends for them. And we need to talk about Bournemouth, because... Two losses either side of the win at home to Huddersfield a couple of weeks back. Still in the game at the weekend, which seems a familiar fashion, but they just need something else. They need something to go their way. And what's the problem? Do you, I mean, what do you think they need? I know that the defence isn't probably the best in the Premier League. They've got a good enough goalkeeper, but I, I don't know. Are they a striker short of confidence? Is it the fact that Callum Wilson's been out for a couple of games and they try and build their, their attack around him? What, what are your thoughts on Bournemouth? I think there's just the, the areas of the whole team, you know, as we say, the, the defence could do with strengthening and, you know, they've got players in there that have been there for years and they're great servants of the club, but ultimately if they want to push forward, they potentially need to look elsewhere. I mean, we say they've got a good enough goalkeeper. I think Begovic has made the most errors of any Premier League player in the last 18 months to give away direct opportunities. So, you know, you're always leaving yourself open with something like that. And as you say, with Wilson, they have got a fantastic player but they definitely miss him when he's not there and I think ultimately as well it's a little bit of luck because they have been in the games that they've lost recently and I think you know against certainly against the top sides as well they've given themselves a chance but they just don't have the extra level to go and push themselves and I think ultimately the the problem they've got is that they'll never necessarily have enough money to go and do that. And that's the problem, isn't it? It's do you stick or twist as that sort of club? You either have to pile a huge amount of money in. I know that they're talking about a new stadium at the moment, but until they really get to that level, you would imagine that they're they're probably kind of batting as high as they will be for a little while. I think that we need to look at the fixtures because the Cherries face a must-win game at home this weekend, really. They're, they're playing against Brighton and they've then got trips to Spurs and Manchester United. And those those games over Christmas will be difficult because Eddie Howe's not got a massive squad and the squad that he has got have really been stretched in recent weeks. You look at the fixtures for Wolves, on the other hand, they've got a tough couple of weeks as well. They've got Liverpool on Friday night and then 
two trips to London to face Fulham and Spurs before getting back on home soil against Crystal Palace. And speaking of Fulham, they were dreadful this weekend. They lost 2-0 to West Ham at home. And, you know, considering they've got a win and a draw at home in Ranieri's other two home games, they rarely ever looked in this one and still bottom of the league. And, you know, we, we kind of say each week that they'll be OK, but will they be OK? I think the most disappointing thing from their point of view is defensively everyone thought that Ranieri would come into the club and stabilise and in the games that he's taken charge of so far they've conceded two against Southampton, one against Leicester, four against Manchester United and then another two in this game against West Ham. They haven't kept a clean sheet all season, that will be a real worry from their point of view because that means that they're going to have to score at least two goals to win a game and they've struggled with goals as well. Mitrovic and Schurler scored goals early in the season but since then they've gone off the boil and they'll be looking to get back on track this weekend because Ranieri needs to do something fast. We know that games will, will will come up thick and fast at this point of the year, and if Fulham don't start picking up points, then they will be cut adrift at the bottom of the league. And you know they'll be surely targeting their home games to pick up some points. What you know they desperately need them. Wolves and a must-win game against Huddersfield. I'd say four points or less out of those will be a disappointment. You suspect, and you know we have to look at West Ham. You know on the other hand, they've won the last four now, moved into ninth, just two points off sixth, and. They've got a favourable run of fixtures coming up too. Watford and Bryan at home and Southampton Burnley away. Is a challenge for the top six realistic with this squad and, and manager? Or is it is it just, you know, the top half and they build from there? I think the one thing that West Ham are lacking is is a striker. I know that the goals have come from different areas this season. Felipe Anderson has been good and I know that Hernandez has chipped in with goals. They've missed Arnautovic. Obviously, in recent weeks, not in terms of the results, but in, in terms of the way that they've played. And I think the only way that they would be able to get into the top six is by spending big on somebody who's going to score 10 goals between January and the end of the season. I just can't see them doing that, given the outlay that they put in in, in, in the summer transfer window. Speaking of clubs that need goal scorers, Huddersfield Town nil, Newcastle 1. And a huge game, a win for Newcastle saw them stretch much further ahead now and... If they'd have lost, it would have been a huge swing back down there as well with Huddersfield obviously benefiting massively, but just wasn't to be for the Terriers. It was a, a relatively poor game with little to nothing created up until the goal. And, you know, the goal itself worked from back to front, quick and incisive, and a, a wonderful ball in for a relatively simple but good finish from Rondon. And they've got him playing well, and a little bit of form in the last six weeks or so could be key, but... You know, they'll look back at this stage of the season, they're comfortably safe, and in hindsight, it will tell them that this was what probably did it for them. They just need to keep it up and not go through a run of five or six games, picking nothing up, because I'd say they're a side that finds confidence hard to come by, and the slippery slope often seems slippier than most for them. In stark contrast, Huddersfield will be bitterly disappointed to lose this. They needed to get something, even just a score draw would have been a real positive, given what they've done recently. They've got another massive game coming up at the weekend, like we said earlier. Can we say that if they lose that, then we'd expect them to be in and around the bottom three for the remainder of the season? Is it is it that big this early on, or, or do you think that there's probably bigger games to come after this one? I think for Huddersfield, the, the key games are very much those games with the teams in and around them. And, you know, ultimately, they, as we said with this one, they have to be stopping those sides from pulling away from them as well because they don't have a massive amount of firepower. They're never going to score their, their way out of trouble. And, you know, ultimately, when you play against the top sides, you're always under pressure as well then. And, you know, much like Fulham, they're going to be targeting their home games as must-wins. Southampton and Burnley are there to be caught equally. Anything they can get at Fulham will be huge and possibly, you know, does stop Fulham from catching them. Speaking of Fulham, you can imagine that the St James's crowd will be bang up for their visit this weekend. Tough away games follow that because they're playing Liverpool and Watford 
and Rafa will be desperate to pick up three points this weekend ahead of that difficult run. We've got one game left of the Premier League, haven't we? And it was a relatively unenjoyable fixture. Crystal Palace 1, Leicester City 0, and the weather was horrendous at this one. Yeah, absolutely dreadful. You know, everything about it, the game, the conditions, it was just just a washout, but a great result for Crystal Palace, who not only picked up another three points, but a crucial win without their talisman, Wilfred Zahar, and another clean sheet as well and you know the obvious problem still exists for them a real lack of firepower and two shots on target all game at home is beyond poor and the goal as good as a strike it was came from the defensive midfielder from distance who is their top scorer in the last two calendar years and most of which you know his goals have come from the penalty spot too and that is still the main worry for them the main worry for Leicester is the lack of chances that they created in this one and Claude Puel has come in for some horrendous abuse online from Leicester fans I think that you look at what he did for them in stabilising them when he went in there and they haven't really kicked on since then. You could argue that what's happened off the pitch is, is going to take a lot to get over from a Leicester point of view. But I think those fans are trying to kind of focus all their attention onto, onto matters on the pitch. And it's such a strange decision in terms of the, the team that he picked for the midweek game against Manchester City. And rightly, you would imagine that he's going to come in for more criticism in the, uh, in the weeks to come. But he was always on a hiding to nothing. Even when he came, they didn't want him there. And as soon as it starts going downwards, what's he going to do? And, you know, obviously everything else that's gone in the club, he will be made to be the scapegoat for anything now. And I think that's a bit of a shame because, like you said, ultimately he did do a good job last year. And, you know, they are very, very comfortable most weeks. And, you know, they've got a tough schedule playing Chelsea and Everton away as, as well as hosting the champions Manchester City. And, you know, much like Bournemouth and Brighton, they don't want to be dragged into anything below them. Palace, on the other hand, have got a horrendous fixture following this one. You would have thought they would be looking to build on the confidence that will come from three points, but they've got the hardest game going. They've got to go to Manchester City this weekend. But Wilf Sahar's back and possibly a few injured strikers who've been out for a while back in and around the squad they'll be hoping to get something from Cardiff at Selhurst Park and they've then got Chelsea who will visit them a few days later so I think that from Roy Hodgson's point of view it's a case of trying to build on this win but the difficulty is it's, it's where does that next three points come from we shall find out I'm sure but that is all for the Premier League join us after this short break for a bit of Kieran trivia and the quiz the mood is right, the spirit's up, we're here tonight, and that's enough, simply having a wonderful Christmas. Welcome back to the final part of the final Sweeper podcast episode of 2018, other than next week's Christmas special. We have got one last standard quiz round to go, and Mitch is going to update you with the scores so far this season. I really don't want to, though, because I'm currently eight behind and desperately praying for that new year and a new start, but... We'll see what happens here with Michael, but before then, we have to uh, let you know you can get in touch with us on Twitter at The Sweeper Pod, Instagram and Facebook, search The Sweeper Podcast, and also get us on all of the platforms to have a good old listen as well. You can get us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Audio Boom, Anchor, YouTube, Spotify, basically everything, just absolutely everything. Get behind us, get spreading the word, spread it like festive cheer. And before we get spread in any more over this festive period, we have to have this inevitable discussion about our Christmas special. 
because we're very, very much looking forward to it. We've got some input from listeners and we've also got our own input and it's going to be a Room 101 feature. It is indeed. We're going to talk all about our gripes, what we hate about football, what we wish would be abolished from the 1st of January 2019. I'm not convinced it's going to have any impact, but it will be enjoyable to exercise some of those demons that we really dislike. I mean, you say no impact. Look at the impact Charlie Austin had. The most powerful man in football. And Michael, you are the most powerful man in this quiz at the moment. And we're going to start off with the blockbusters. As ever, you for USA within five I want you to tell me how many players from the USA have played in the Premier League that is incredibly difficult um, Kobe Jones Brad Friedel Brad oh, I don't have to list them no, no. alright okay within five um, how long has the Premier League been going 1992 93 so we've got what how many years have they been? 25 years. 25 years. To, uh, 40 players. You bastard. It's 43. So you've <laughs> got that. What have you What have you even based that on? Um, I was going to go for two per season. So I was going to go for 50. And then I just thought I'd, I'd bring it down a little bit. Brilliant. You probably forgot that we had exactly this discussion when we went to Southampton Fulham a few weeks ago, but it got a little bit boozy, so I thought he's probably going to forget exactly what we said. But he didn't. He's got it right, unbelievably. So we go to the next one, which is A for appearances. I now want you to tell me which American has played the most games in the Premier League. Oh, I'd say it's got to be a goalkeeper. Um, I may be wrong, though. It could be somebody like Claudio Reyna. No. I'm going to go for Brad Friedel. Obviously, it is Brad Friedel, yep. With 450 appearances, Tim Howard second with 399. I think there was maybe five goalkeepers in the top ten, which sounds about right, doesn't it? So that's another point. That's two points. Is it going to be a clean sweep? We shall wait and see. But why is for Young Gun, who is the youngest player to score 100 Premier League goals? I have got no idea. Um, I'm going to go for Harry Kane. He's incorrect. It was Michael Owen at 23 years and 133 days ahead of Robbie Fowler, Wayne Rooney, Harry Kane and Romelu Lukaku as well. Two out of three. F is for FA Cup. Which player has won the FA Cup the most times? Well. And I'll give you a clue if you need one. Always. I'm never going to say no to a clue, Mitch, especially at Christmas time. All the winners have been in this century. So all his, all his medals are in this century. In that case, I would imagine that it would have to be um, an Arsenal player because they've really won a lot of FA Cups, haven't they? So um, just read the question to me again. Which player has won the FA Cup the most times? Oh, my God. Um... This century, I'm struggling a little bit. I thought it was going to be an Arsenal player, but now I'm I'm kind of doubting myself. I am going to go for Aaron Ramsey. You were on the right lines with Arsenal, but he also played for Chelsea as well. Yes. Ashley Cole with seven. Three for Arsenal and four for Chelsea. Which is mad, really, considering it's all in this century. So two out of four. Can he make it three on the last question? M is for manager of the month. 
There are only two Dutch managers to have won Premier League Manager of the Month awards. Big Ron Koeman and bigger Martin Yoll. But which of them won more? Wow. Um, can't imagine Ronald Koeman won any when he was at Everton. And Southampton did very well. They finished sixth when Koeman was there. Um, it's difficult because Tottenham under Martin Yoll weren't that great either. I, I, try, I always try not to overthink these 50-50s because you end up doing the same. And <laughs> let's, let's all sort of take a second to to realise where that's got you. I'm going to go for Martin Yoll. Big Ronald, I'm afraid. No! Big Ronald. So you've stretched the lead to 10 points, which I think you'll probably take going into the new year. But a new year, new me, and I'm, I'm coming back. I'm fighting on all cylinders. I think you'll be all right. I think that um, you just need a little break from the game, don't you? You just need a week off to, to eat lots, to, to drink lots, and, and, yeah, get your head back in the game from 2019. But, yeah, good quiz. Absolutely. I'm very much looking forward to eating and drinking lots and drinking in a lot of football action as well. But before Christmas, we will be putting out our Christmas specials, so keep your eyes and ears peeled on that. And otherwise, have a fantastic Christmas. Yeah, we'll speak to you next week. We'll do the Christmas special. But if any of you listen to the Christmas special after the 25th of December, have a wonderful festive period. Have great times with your families. And let's hope for three points for all of your football teams as well. Feliz Navidad! Merry Christmas.